Hello and welcome to the Smells Like Infinite Sadness podcast. I'm your host, Michael Taylor. Those of you who don't know, I run the website, SmellsLikeInfiniteSadness.com. It's a blog covering the best alternative rock from the 80s and 90s up to present day. I'm a proud middle-aged Gen Xer who is still obsessed with the music of his youth and loves to talk about it. And today I'll be speaking to Steve Kilby, the singer, bassist, and founding member of The Church, a veteran alternative Ossiac best known for the 1988 hit ballad Under the Milky Way. A longtime fan of the band's work far exceeds that one song, and the group have amassed a devoted cult following over the prolific four-plus decades together. And now The Church are back with The Hypnagogue, their 26th studio album, the first album featuring guitarist Ashley Naylor and multi-instrumentalist Jeffrey Kane. Uh, today, Kilby and I discussed the creative genesis behind the Hypnagogue, why he finally felt the time was right for the group to do their first concept record, what the new lineup brought to the recording, their current U.S. tour, Kilby's other upcoming musical projects, and much more. So take a listen, and be sure to stick around afterwards. I'll be playing a new track off the album. Let's jump right into it. So my first thought upon hearing this album, which I really, really love, was... I think it's interesting that this is your first concept record. It's something I guess I would have expected the church to have done by now, or maybe I kind of consider some of your albums like Priest Equals Aura sort of conceptual in nature. So I guess what made you decide to finally do like an, an official concept album? There was no, look, Priest Equals Aura, and someone mentioned also a very obscure album we made a long time ago called Shriek. And a guy, a guy wrote a book called Shriek, and he asked us to provide some music for it. But both of those things weren't fully developed concept albums. There was no point where a decision was made. It was more like as we were starting to make it and these odd bits of lyrics and words and things were coming to me, I realised um, what it was. Not everything proceeds from a logical thought. A piece of art, a piece of music, a poem, there seems to be sometimes there's this over-soul and an, uh, uh, an over-writer that's sort of and, – and as you're working on it, you're starting to get the idea of what you're doing, but it wasn't – not a conscious decision as such. So as we started making the album, it started to gradually occur to me that it was a concept album and that it should be a concept album. It wasn't, let's make a concept album, this is what it's going to be about. It was as it started to unfold, it, it, I started thinking about that. And then when it was all over, I kind of made some of the pieces fit. Like some of, the, some of it wasn't strictly for a concept album, but then I sort of recontextualized it into into back into being a concept album okay and i know that the title track sets the tone obviously in the lyrics and and the storyline from the press release but it's not the first song so is this something that is a linear or is it kind of a non-linear experience or does it not really matter as far as when you when it starts and when it ends it doesn't matter it it doesn't matter this all of these songs are about the hypnagogue the order that it all happens in doesn't really matter. And the first song, it sets the scene. I like to think of it, um, I was really influenced a long, long time ago. Um, the, the first Hawkwind album I bought started with a song 
Um, the first Hawkwind album I bought was called In Search of Space. And the first song sounded to me, it's about a 17-minute song. It <laughs> sounds like a machine getting itself together to take off. It just uh -huh. starts off with all this electronic and then it starts pulsating and then the machine eventually lifts off and the, the, the spaceship Hawkwind sort of leaves Earth and takes flight. And I've always wanted to get that feeling. So the first song, As As Ascendance, is that feeling of something sort of coming together and starting to take off. And then it's sort of, it's sort of loose the way it all, it all happens. It, 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 it's like a dream. It, you know, when you tell someone, oh, I had a dream and I was in, you know, I was walking along in a city and I met my friend and then it turned into my mother. And then it doesn't really, within the context of this story, it doesn't really matter about the sequence of events. And it makes it easier on the listener. It's all, it's all to do with it, but it doesn't, you know, you can, you can sequence it yourself. It's sort of a rough beginning, there's a rough ending, there's a rough middle. Yeah, the hypnogoxal comes halfway through, the actual song. But I, I imagine if someone said, look, I'm making a film of this, by about that stage, so we have the initial liftoff, his manager says, don't go there. Um, and then sort of um, he, he, go, he, he goes to Korea, he has his reverie in the cab with flickering lights where he has a nostalgic reverie, and then bang, he's into the hypnagogue about sort of like 20 minutes into the film, he's actually got there and starting to use it, and that's when it all, the sort of action all starts. So I kind of see it like that. Or kind of lulls the listener into, a, into the spell, basically. And then you're yeah in the yeah. middle of Look, it. I, I I like I like the fact like in a in a film in a film if you said to a director um, in the cab between his hotel and turning up at the hypnagogue we're going to spend some time on a song that just happens to come on the radio and he listens to it they would probably have to go no 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 that's you know, you can't expect someone watching a film to sit through a whole song in a cab while a guy's driving along. But in my <laughs> in my universe, these small things are the important things. When when he goes to the hypnagogue and he wanders out one day and there's a garden in the middle of the hypnagogue and he sits in the garden and thinks about things. These are sort of the more these are the important things to me. The tiny details that you because it's because it's an album and because I've got as much time and it doesn't have to go anywhere or mean anything, these are the kind of little things I, I like to linger on and think about. Um, I often find, and I've been, I wrote a blog about this once, that we were on tour in America and everybody went to a restaurant and um, in the middle of nowhere and there was no vegetarian food. And I walked out the back and I found this little area that was all rocks and saw bits of broken glass and weeds and bits of paper. And I, I, while they all ate dinner, I, I stood there and looked at all this stuff and it was everyone else came out and said, oh, sorry, you couldn't find anything interesting. And I would like to eat here. And I was like, I don't care about this. I had such a great time in this little area where nobody goes with all these things that are unloved that nobody cares about, all these little stones and bits of glass. So that's the sort of idea I'm trying to impart 
with the record is there is there's some action as well but there's sort of moments where looking through this our hero eros zeta's eyes there's all the small things about it as well that he kind of that he dwells on well i also i noticed that um that this is the first album of course with with your new lineup and what was the energy like in the studio and how does it compare i guess to how it worked in the original lineup what was it like this time in the studio I keep coming back to a sporting analogy. And you imagine you've got a team, a football team, I don't know, a basketball team, a baseball team, a team of guys, and you've got some real stars. But they're such stars, they're no longer really interested in being having the teamwork anymore. And then you have players... You've got the other members who are far more interested in the teamwork side of things. That's what it was like when we assembled together with these guys. All of us were hell-bent on being a team, and everybody was interested in everything everybody else said. So if one guy said, hey, why don't we try this? Everyone was like, oh, okay. There was no hierarchy. There was no... There was no sort of, oh, I'm a superstar and I do whatever I like and I don't have to listen to any of you. All of that had mercifully gone and I put myself in the position of being the editor of all the ideas. But it seemed to me like everybody in the band, when we would start exploring a piece of music, everybody had equal say. Everybody had a veto. Everybody was... Everybody wanted to sublimate themselves to make a better record. It hasn't always been like that in the church, and myself included. But when we got together to make this record in the three weeks where we started it, it seemed to me that everybody wanted to cooperate, and that was a lovely feeling that I had these fantastic players at my disposal and I at their disposal. And all of us could say, hey, you're really good at this. Why don't we try doing this? And that's a marvelous thing that we, that the old church with the old players never really had. There was always some sort of thing that if I would go, could you do this for me? And they go, why should I? Why are you asking <laughs> me to do that? You know what I mean? Yeah, so, I know what you mean. Okay, so there was none of that why should I? It was, oh, okay. Do you want me to see what that sounds like played in three, four times? I'll do it. And then we would all listen and go, oh, okay, that worked. Or no, that didn't work. And then it's very important to have a modus operandi when things don't work, that you can say to a player, I'm sorry, that didn't work for whatever reason. I don't, and, and everyone goes, okay, let's just leave it. Sometimes in the old band, just the act of saying that didn't work meant someone would be angry and and sulky. Look, I'm including myself in all of that as well. With this band, we somehow, with the personalities, we we started off with a clean slate where we could say yay or nay and no one took it personal. And and I guess that's why I noticed on the... uh on the credits where everyone is credited equally. There's no, this song is written by a so-and-so, which is, it's all performed by the church. Was that a conscious yeah. thing to, 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 to say that? Yeah. 
And not only that, but the instrumental playing. Everybody shared instruments. Everybody, everybody had a crack at every fucking instrument. Anyone was allowed to play the piano. Anyone was allowed to play guitar. Hey, you want to play bass guitar? Take it away from me. I don't fucking care. <laughs> it's like, so there was sharing. Some of the songs are more one player than another. Like the Hypnagogue song is totally Jeffrey. Jeffrey came up with that, that piece of music. And then, all, and then, sort of used bits and pieces from all the other players. But Jeffrey put that song together. Um, no other you is me, and um, with a bit of Ash. Sailor V is Ian. Um, the last song on the album is Tim Powell's. Wrote that piece on the piano and was playing it as a piano piece. And I, I said, hey, we could all play this as a band. This would be great. So it's sort of like wherever it comes from, who's ever playing what. There's no one has a mortgage on an instrument or an idea. Um, so yes, it was a complete um, it was a complete effort by everybody. Even even the act of someone saying, "I don't really have much to do on this track. I'm just going to let it be and not be angry or sulky about it." There's a couple of tracks where people didn't play on it at all. Tim and I cooked up Thorn on our own. And the other guys sort of went, that's such a great track. Let it be on the album. We don't need to fucking play on everything. So even even consenting to your absence, because once upon a time someone would get, oh, I'm not even on that track, so why the fuck is it on the album? But it wasn't like that either. So it was a, co a completely open-minded attitude from everybody that really, I think, really made it work. And, and the... You know, when you go and see an orchestra, the violinists and the French horns aren't arguing. You know, like the violinists aren't going, we're playing, you know, <laughs> more than the French horns. And, the, you know, the French horn players goes, I only just come in in this one bit and go, boo-boo. It's like everybody found what was necessary and did it. And it felt to me like egos were completely left out of the equation. and. And if you have an ensemble, if you have a team of people all trying to do something together, egos can really get in the way of that. Do you do you think that after doing so many albums that that's kind of helped you this time around that you kind of know the, the pitfalls to avoid or you kind of know some tricks here and there to make things more pleasant or as far as the recording process? Well, the recording process is so fucking complicated because it's not you know when when you see someone's produced an album someone actually said to me the other day what is a producer do and i saw it uh, again on this same subject i saw rick rubin someone's doing an interview and said can you play any instruments no can you work the board no <laughs> well, what do you do and he said well i tell them if they're doing something good or if they're doing something bad in that case, that's the produ production. I, I have found that to be a really good producers, they're like psychiatrists. Yeah. They have to, sometimes you have to be a real psychiatrist to get the best out of players. Um, but very lucky. But, and that wears me out. That used to wear me out when I knew 
so-and-so could really do a good performance, but I had to figure out a way of coaxing it out of him and make him believe, you know, come on, please. Yeah, well, I don't know, please just give it. Oh, yeah, but I know. That sort of stopped with this album somehow. And it might not, if there is another album, that doesn't mean it will be that way next time either. But with this album, when it was like, hey, can you try just going ah, 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 on your guitar? They would go, yes, I will try that because I know we're all trying to do the same thing. When you take all that psychiatry out of it, it sort of makes things so much easier. I used to be so worn out with the old guys sometimes having to think up a way to get them to do what I wanted to do that by the time they were doing it, I couldn't be bothered anymore because it was sort of like, it's like I found this when I had children. You take them on a walk and halfway through the walk, they go, we don't want to walk anymore. Yes, and then yes. Got to, got to, I had to think uh, two sets of twins. I so You had to think of a reason to get the little bastards to keep walking. You know I, what I mean? I have so, a daughter, um, I understand. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't have to do that with this record. Everybody knew. And... That's why it sort of so feel has this easy feeling to it, a pleasant feeling it because there was no there were no screaming matches, there were no tears, there were no no one was like using leverage over someone else to get them to do it. Everybody was sort of like everybody was like, take me and use me to create this record that we want to make, and that that they I think you can hear the fruits of that. And I want to go back to to no other you because that's my actually my favorite song off off the new album. And Mine too, I think. Yeah, I, I love it. So so that riff was was all you that the the guitar riff was no 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 not the guitar riff. Um, I sat down and I wrote the piece of music, the chord progression, and 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 I had so I I I I, I had the the chords, and Ash Naylor was there as well with me, and he was saying yeah yeah yeah. And then when the band came in, everybody found the riffs that they wanted to play. So, um, no, I didn't write those riffs. I, I just wrote the chords and the words, and then they came in. And something marvellous is happening on this record that with all the things that the church has done before, something that we never really touched on, and it really happened a lot, one fantastic example of it is Lou Reed's um, rock and roll animal record where the two guitarists play these, like what cellos and violins would do. As the chords progress, they play these harmony lines uh-huh. from, do you know what I mean? So yeah. things go, da, 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 da. And there's this structural that started happening on this record. It never has happened in the church before. We explored millions and millions of guitar things, and 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 the the other guitarist had millions of things going on. But we, we never. And then on this on that song on No Other You, that comes to fruition in the most I think delightful way. The guitarists playing like like a string section together. You know, there's the lead line over the top. But when it comes into the chorus, the two Ian, uh, Ian and Jeffrey on their guitars, they play these supporting lines in harmony with each other. Um, I guess heavy metal bands and stuff do that. 
a mm-hmm. lot as well. Um, it's it's sort of like it's something we haven't really touched on, and I'm I'm really excited by it. And we've been recontextualizing a bit some old songs. We did a show last night, and that's starting to come into other songs. And I, it's really a marvelous orchestral device that um, I don't think a lot of people have ever really sort of used. Um, well, not not as much as it could be. So I'm I'm really excited by the possibilities of that. Well, you mentioned kind of opening things up that way. I think what I love about that song, it's it's you don't really the church, for whatever reason, I would never say you guys have really been a riff based band or like a blues based band, but that's that's a very bluesy kind of seventies glam rock riff, which I think is kind of new, is. new territory it, for you in a way. It totally is. It to- it totally is. It's riffs, it's glam rock. Um it's like I feel I feel like there's two reasons why I'm allowing this into the church. Once upon a time, I wouldn't have let that happen. But I feel like, first of all, I'm if nobody else is, I feel like I'm really living in a postmodern age where now, and I'm old and I'm experienced. And I've been a musician forever, and now everything is open for plunder to me. There's no more. This is hip. That isn't hip. You can't mm-hmm. do this. You can do this. It's like at my age and after all the stuff I've done, I can plunder any period of music I fucking like. And I love glam rock and I love the 70s and I love Mick Ronson. And I love David Bowie. If I write a song and it turns into David Bowie and Mick Ronson, let it be. Secondly, it's the hypnagogue. There's a machine There's a machine pulling music straight out of people's heads. It's all mixed up. It pulls it pulls out whatever it likes. So with the, with those two with those two ideas, I'm allowing myself. And like David Bowie ain't around to write that song, you know. Uh-huh. And I look up. This is true. I had a dream about David Bowie. I was doing David Bowie songs in, with an orchestra in Australia when he died, and I had a dream. And he appeared in my dream, and I said, I really feel guilty about using, like, singing your songs. And he said, I can't sing them anymore, mate, so I'm glad you are. And now I feel like he's given me permission. I feel like that's a song that might have been on Aladdin's saying. Yeah. It it almost could have been, and I, I, I feel good about that. It's Everything takes time to be able to come to fruition. I don't feel 20 years ago if I'd written that song, I couldn't have allowed it. I would have had to go, no, 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 the church can't do that. It's glam rock, it's guitar riffs and harmony guitar and all of that. On this album, its time has come and the hypnagogue has allowed it. So now everything is fair game for me. Any music that I have up my sleeve or in the back of my mind, anywhere at all, whatever it is, it's all fair game from here on in. Well, I I love it. And, and conversely, I also really like the song of Flickering Lights, which ah. to me, that almost has kind of like a, I don't know how to describe it, almost like a musical or a, a loungy. Yes. It's got a very yes. interesting feel to it. It is. Like, and, and look, it is. It's like something from a musical. It's like something something from a nostalgic days. And look, 
I'm going to be the, this is the first time I, I've said this. I have completely stolen some lyrics from Carousel. From, <laughs> there, there is a musical and it's like, um, it, it's like walk on through the rain, walk on through the dark. May your dreams be torn and blown. And I've recontextualized those lyrics. I wonder if someone's going to sue me now. It's probably stupid <laughs> to say this. I took the walk on through the rain, walk on through the storm. I took that because it's the hypnagogue has dragged it out of the dragged it out of the ether. So in in this universe in 2054, where our protagonist Eros Zeta lives and the hypno hypnagogue exists, everything is fair game. Ev all music. There's no more. There's no more music's this or music's that. It's that machine doesn't care and pulls it all out. I've, this is kind of given you an inkling of where you want to go for the next album, or are you just kind of letting this one soak in, or or, or have you all started? doing any more material or um i i also i i gotta say at this point there's two really good songs didn't get on the album um so they're sitting there um waiting to somehow find a use i also thought up until very recently this was probably the last church church album there was gonna be i thought probably that's it go out on this one leave it like that and then last night we did this great gig and Jeffrey and I were just sitting in the back room and I'm going, Jeffrey, we've got to make one more album. Um, <laughs> we just have to. And he agreed. And everybody was like, yeah, there's got to be one more, one more. I feel like this. Now we've, now we can see what we can do. I really have a, itching desire to do better than this i'm really happy with this album i think it's a fucking great album for the church and now i want to see with this new spirit of cooperation with the absolutely excellent playing that i have at my fingertips with these guys the players and their willingness to experiment i just feel like i want to do one more and see what we can do next time i really do and I always ask this selfishly, um, any chance of a second leg of the tour that might lead you out to Texas at all? Or is this pretty much the only tour you're going to do for the album? I I see. I have seen a lot of people being sad we're not going to Texas. I have no idea. I I just, it, it's always funny. You say, oh, we're coming here and people go, come here. Yeah. I don't have any, I don't have any say, strange enough, in where I go. If someone says, you're not playing Texas, then I'm not playing Texas. That's the way it worked out. It would be, hey, wouldn't we all be happy if this album did so well and the fucking agent came back and said, they're screaming for you in Texas. You've got to get to Texas. <laughs> I'd be the happiest guy in the world. I, 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 You know, if people love this album and someone said, we want you to go and do one year, because there's so much demand that people want to hear this album, I'd go, okay, I'm ready for that. Um, so, but at, at this stage of the game, you know, there's so many cities in America, we could only have this much time because of this reason, this reason, this reason. We miss Texas. It seemed to me personally, that seems a mistake because the Texans 
really dig the church and always have. And that seems sad that we weren't acknowledging that by at least, you know, by going somewhere in Texas. Um, and it, it seems like a little bit of a miscarriage of justice. But I can't really go and argue with someone because he would have said, well, you know, the the bus had to go here and you had to do that and this guy offered this and that wasn't available. And now I go, oh, I wish I hadn't asked. But, yes, <laughs> it would be fantastic to come to Texas, yes, T totally noted. Um, I, Dallas, Houston uh, and, and Austin are always three of our best shows. Um, so, yes, I hope we do get – where are you? I'm in Austin. Okay. I mean, that's one of the hippest cities in America. You'd think that was a match made in heaven that the church would be there, but soon, maybe, hopefully. Well, I've got, I've got my fingers crossed for it. So, Thanks, Michael. And, and I know that, as always, you like to stay busy. Um, is there anything else you have in the works uh, past this, like any, either solo stuff or? Yeah, look, um, strangely enough, I made an EP with a guy. Have you heard of this bang, Empire of the Sun or Penal? No, I haven't. Okay, it, there's this Australian guy's had massive amount of success. Oh yeah, the, the 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 electronic artist is that? Yeah, electronic. Yeah, yeah, I, I um, know who they are. Okay, he he. Oh, it seems like years ago now. He sent me some tracks. I sang on them. I sent them back, and I thought, well, that's the end of that. I never heard back, and then. One of the guys involved in the project said uh, he's gotten round to it and um, it's coming out this year. So that that at least, yes. Also, I'm um, a few years back, I made one of my very favourite albums I ever made with an Irish guitarist. And the album's called The Speed of the Stars. Um, very hard to find. You probably can't find a physical copy. It's on iTunes. It's a really beautiful spiritual spiritual gorgeous music the way this guy plays guitar like an orchestra he and i and our drummer barton and a new component uh an australian musician called hugo race we're going into an, an into an album in italy after the american tour an, an album uh, a, a record studio a recording studio that's floating on a lake and we're going there to make another Speed of the Stars album. So that's coming up as well. That's very, very cool. It sounds like a cool experience getting to record out there. It sounds like a... I reckon it will be, yeah. Sounds pretty great. Well, thank you, Steve. It's always All a right, pleasure talking to you. And uh, good luck thank with you. the tour and the album. And uh, oh. I've got a review up already, so I can send that to you. And then, uh, yeah, just th thanks as always for chatting with me. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Michael. See you soon. A big thanks to Steve for taking time out today for this interview. This is the fourth time we've chatted together, and I always love picking his brain. As promised, I'm playing a new track off the album. It's the aforementioned There's No Other You. It's a fantastic song that I think you're really going to love, as I do think you're going to love the entire album, which you can purchase on the band's website at thechurchband.net. So without further ado, here's a new song. Take a listen, enjoy, and until next time, stay safe and stay sane.
Justice is here.